Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. So I take a great deal of pride in learning students' names so that I can name them when they come to youth nights especially. I want them to be able to come into our building, come in, play games, and feel that they are known, they're accepted, they're loved, and I care about them each individually. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm a bit of a competitive person. And so in my head, I'm like, man, I'm killing it at this name thing, right? So maybe one of these nights, the kids will like wager me a bet and be like, I bet you can't name all of us, Sarah. I, I go really far with fantasies in my head about winning, just so you know. So I picture myself like standing and they're all lining up and I'm just naming them off left and right and don't miss a beat, every one of them. And they're like, Sarah, we're going to buy you coffee for the rest of your life because you named all of us. But then there's those nights that put honest doubts in my head. There's those times when for some reason I assign the wrong name to a kid and I call him that name for weeks. The kid named Jackson, I called him Alex for like a month and a half. And finally one of his friends was like, that's Jackson. And I was like, oh dear. And then I couldn't get it right because it was solidified in my memory as Alex when he's actually Jackson. Maybe he was too polite to correct me early on. Maybe he was just like, whatever lady. But it's tough sometimes because I have those doubts because I call the wrong names. And I'm not as confident in myself. So sometimes kids are buddy, sweetheart, dude for quite a while until I can feel confident of their name. But I do want them to feel loved, accepted, known because I want them to know that God loves, accepts them, and knows them each by name. And maybe some of us Like me, we have honest doubts. Like kids, we have honest doubts. But maybe it's about how God feels about us. I was asked to choose a tough passage to preach on this weekend, and so I chose a tough one. And this passage can plant some honest doubts in our mind. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, maybe you'll see what I'm talking about. It says... Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So I don't know if you know what I mean here, but this creates some tension in my mind between the God that loves, forgives, accepts, the God that has promised never to leave me or forsake me, and this sounds judgy. This sounds like it's drawing a line in the sand of who can inherit the kingdom and who cannot. So it's a tough passage that we wrestle with. How does God feel about people who do these things? because I see myself here. And kids, when they come to me, a couple of them come to me, I'm so thankful 
that they trust me. But they say this, Sarah, I've been told I'm going to hell because I have homosexual tendencies and thoughts. And my heart is breaking in that moment because somewhere along the way they've been judged, they've been condemned. And I just want to bring truth and love in those moments. So I'm praying like crazy. Thank you, God, that they trust me to tell me this. This helped me handle this with love, acceptance, and be completely filled with you, Jesus. I have to be you in those moments. Because aren't they asking me, is God hateful? Do you hate me? Do I have a part in the kingdom? It's such a heavy thing. Or what about your loved one that gets drunk on the weekends? What about them? What does God say about them inheriting the kingdom? Or let's take it a little bit closer. What about what he says about me and my greed? It's in this list. Greedy people won't inherit the kingdom. What does that say about me and how I'm greedy with my time? I'm pretty stingy. And we all know people that are walking through some form of idolatry. It's so common. It's so easy to fall into that trap. So my heart breaks for people who take this verse and think that because it says these words, this is it, God hates me. I don't have a place in the kingdom. When I learned to study the Bible, I learned a short, simple sentence that will help us out a lot with verses like this. Context is king. Context is king. Context rules how we look at verses like this. We have to look at what comes before it in the Bible. We have to look at what comes after it. We have to understand who it was written to, the issues in their culture that they were dealing with, and we have to look at it through the lens of all of the Bible. Because it's dangerous just to take one verse and base hatred and judgment on it. Because this verse, if we really look at it in the context of all of Scripture, it's talking about us who call Jesus as Lord and Savior. And none of us are exempt. None of us are exempt from the sins listed here. There's little things like cheating I don't know if you know this, but Carl is also a very competitive person, our senior pastor. <laughs> so we have this thing going where we like to compete. I am not above cheating to win when it comes to Carl. Just want you guys to know that. Some might call it cheating. I think it's a gray area when you suddenly come up with a competition on the spot and you don't tell the person that you're competing with that you're actually competing. But it's something that I've tried and I, I, it usually helps me win. Like last week, we got to fly to Birmingham for a church leader conference. There were seven of us. And we flew out of Grand Junction. So I took my car with a few of church leaders in it and Carl drove his truck with a few church leaders in it. And I want you to know that I I won. I beat him to the airport. And I made it clear to him as soon as he arrived, he, I was like, Carl, 20 minutes, I beat you. I got here first. He was like, what? Then we're in Dallas on our way to Birmingham, layover. We're on our way to our gate. I'm lugging a, a suitcase. He's got his backpack. We come to a flight of stairs. I don't know if you've been to Dallas airport. Long, straight flight. There's stairs on the right, escalator on the left. And I have some junk in my trunk. Carl is training, training for a half marathon, so he takes the stairs. I'm going up the escalator, and suddenly I see an opportunity. I'm gaining on him. 
And as soon as I go to pass him, I pick up my suitcase and I sprint to the top. He wants me to tell you all that he won. He didn't win. I totally hit the top of the stairs before him. But in all seriousness, I'm being lighthearted about this, but in all seriousness, there are sins listed here that include all of us. And if we look at the context, we see that these Christians, that this letter, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are written to, these Christians are living in a way that they are not distinguishable from the culture around them. They are using worldly practices. They're bringing each other to court. And they're suing each other under the authority of a worldly judge. They are not operating in the power that the Holy Spirit gives us as Christians to go according to his systems, his practices, his ability in us to overcome. It's like the other day when I was driving through town with Micah, he's 15, and we like to appreciate cool cars. We don't really know much about them, but we like the fast ones or the cool looking ones. So we were talking about this Corvette that we were right behind. It was a really sweet Corvette, but it was driving painfully slow. Like I said, I'm a competitive person. I don't like to drive slow. And we were just pointing out how if we were the one driving that car, we would be driving it like it was made to be driven, like fast, right? But I see this parallel between these Christians in Corinth, is the name of the city, and they're operating as if they don't know the power of the kingdom of heaven that is, in within, that is within them. And then I challenge all of us, are we really any better? Is there a difference that our culture sees between us and them? Between those followers of Jesus that are among them, do they know the difference? And when Jesus looks at my life and your life, does he see the difference that he wants to see? Next weekend, don't come to church. Serve the city. We're all wearing our shirts, so you know, hopefully you know by now that next Saturday night, next Sunday morning, we're not having regular church services. We are going all out into our community to serve Jesus and prove that Jesus is full of love, acceptance, humility, and service. When we go out and we pick up trash, when we deliver cookies, we do yard work, I hope you know this is a great opportunity for us to show the world that yes, we are different. We're willing to serve. It's not an opportunity for you to skip church and go camping before school starts. I hope you know you can still register. The t-shirts are awesome. We have this army going out to serve and show that Jesus is beautiful in us. And yes, we are different. Because how can we expect anyone to want what God has for them if they don't feel loved, accepted, and known? How can they trust that God's ways are best if they don't feel safe with a Christian? Let's look further into this context. If you look in the chapter previous, we see 1 Corinthians 5.12. I'll just read it to you. It says this, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And so there you have it, church. That is the context of this verse. Those within the church who are sinning. And I want you to know that we take every sin listed here as sin. Yes, God says it is wrong. And he has the final say. He is the authority. If God says it's wrong, we say it's wrong. 
Anyone in leadership capacity here at Grace, whether volunteer or on staff, we expect that they are not living in a pattern of sin. And I also want you to know that if they are, we ask them to take a break, step down, all with the intent of restoring them back to wholeness in their capacity to serve Jesus here. But we take it seriously because God does. He has the final say. He is the authority. If he says it's wrong, we say it's wrong. We come along anyone who's trapped in it with the intent to bring them back. So if you are here and you are hearing condemnation, I want you to know that it's not from Jesus. It's not from here, him. He does not condemn you. Let's look at what Jesus does with a woman who's caught in sin. If you'll go with me to John, Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 1. We see how Jesus responds. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's so much in this. So much in this. Jesus is so cool. I love talking about him. And I see myself in these religious leaders and teachers, these Pharisees, I see myself with a stone of condemnation in my hand that I have no right to be hanging on to. I have no right. If Jesus doesn't condemn her, why am I? Why am I judging? Why am I going around judging people? Like Arnie spoke about a few weeks ago. We have no right to judge. God is the judge. Remove the plank from your own eye. And he totally disarms all of us. Do you see it? Jesus disarms all of us. When he says, okay, those of you who have never sinned, go ahead, throw the first stone. So I hope this morning that as we're here, we're figuratively dropping stones. We have no right to judge, no right to condemn. Jesus leads the way. And to those of us who are feeling trapped, if you're feeling stuck, ensnared in sin, you don't see a way out of the lifestyle that you've chosen, please see what Jesus does in this story. It's so, so beautiful. Because his posture here, even just his posture, is so loving and accepting. Did you see it? It jumped off the page of me. He's here. He's riding in the dirt. We don't know what he's riding. That doesn't matter. That's not what I'm getting at. Look at his posture of humility. They're coming at her with stones to kill her. And here he is. Until they make demands that he can't ignore anymore, he gets up 
Okay. Those of you who have never sinned, go ahead, throw the first stone. And it says from oldest to youngest, they turned around and walked away. Because I think that the older we are, the more we know. <laughs> We've walked a life, a lifetime of sin. And they all walk away. And after he said that, he got back down here. Notice his posture until every person with a stone in their hand left. He's here. Until the full threat of her safety is removed, he's here. In humility, not towering over her, not condemning her. Even his posture is accepting, loving, non-threatening. Because until the threat of danger, judgment, condemnation is removed, until then, Jesus can't work. Do you know that? We have to get out of his way. Because this is between her and Jesus. So he waits. He waits until everybody is gone. And then, so beautiful, he addresses her with such kindness. Where are your accusers? And what she says after that question is the moment of her salvation, in my opinion. She says, no, Lord, capital L. No, Lord, no one is here. He's asking her, doesn't anybody condemn you? No, Lord. Because confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord makes him authority of your life. That is the moment of her salvation. It's so beautiful because everything has gotten out of her way so she can see Jesus who loves her and accepts her, knows her. It's incredible. And Jesus doesn't condemn her either. He says, neither do I. And then life change can happen. Go and sin no more. In the moment of our salvation, when we confess Jesus is Lord, we're saying, you have authority. And she trusts him enough to give it to him because he's humbly accepted her and shown her love and not condemnation. She's in the place in her life when she knows that what's best for her is to make Jesus her Lord. Love, safety, acceptance lead the way to lordship. Love, safety, acceptance lead the way. We have to get out of the way with our judgment and our condemnation so Jesus can do his work. Kids and students need to know that God loves them, accepts them, he is safe, he is fun, he knows them, before they will make him their Lord and choose to follow him, choose what is best for them. The next generation needs to know that God loves them, accepts them, they're safe in church. And if when I'm saying that, you feel a tag on your heart, I want you to sign up to come to our volunteer training on August 28th. The younger generation needs to know how much God loves them and you can show them by loving them. Even if you're not sure, I want you to sign up for this training. We'll give you some food. You'll have a fun morning. If nothing else, you'll be fed. But just come, see what we do in Grace Kids in the youth ministry. Just come and see what we do. Decide if you can sign up to be on the team. I won't let them throw water balloons at you or pie in your face if you don't want that. <laughs> but we need to show kids love, acceptance, safety. And we need your help doing that. So if that's you, sign up. Volunteer training on the 28th. Because life change is the goal. Life change doesn't happen until Jesus is Lord, though. Repentance can't happen until we make him Lord of everything. 
Let's look at this verse again, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, in light of that. It says, those who indulge in sexual sin. Is Jesus Lord of my sexuality? You bet he is. He is the authority. When I say he's Lord, he gets to be the boss there. Or if I worship idols, I'm saying that he's not Lord of my life. My focus switches to something else. If I commit adultery, I'm not telling him that my purity is up to him. That's before I'm married and when I'm married, my purity is his. Male prostitution, I even see myself here in that my body and my career are his. Purity, body, career, all of it. Practicing homosexuality, I see in this, my identity is his. He gets to say who I am. My self-control is his. It has to be according to his standards. Thieves don't inherit the kingdom because our desires, our obedience to the law, it's his. Greedy people, my possessions, everything, even my time is his. Drunkards, my mental clarity is his. That goes for recreational drugs and alcohol. Clarity of mind, sober of mind, it's according to his standards. If I'm abusive, I'm not saying that he is Lord of creation. He has to be Lord of how I treat other people and his beautiful creation. And if I cheat people to get ahead, I'm not letting my success be up to him. Do you see that none of us are exempt from anything in this list if we look at it through that lens? Because all of these things, he is Lord over. Every part of it. And the good news, keep reading, go to verse 11 in the same passage. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. Wow. Some of you were once like that this morning. Some of you will be like that again today, but repentance, life change is what this is getting at. He is Lord. We have to look different when we make him Lord because we are holy and set apart. And if we know who we are and we know that he makes us holy, We'll respond by giving him everything, even our bodies. Look ahead, jump ahead to verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Even my body is not my own. Even your body is not your own. When you say Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all. What are we doing with our bodies? He houses his Holy Spirit. He chooses to put it in us. It's such a privilege to carry the presence of God wherever we go. We have to be careful that we honor our bodies well because we are bought at a high price. Can you imagine This is a picture of the boys from 2009. Look at them. (laughs) Those are my little stinkers out looking for elk. They think they're so tough. I love this. Uh, Mike is on the right. He's three in this picture. He's now 15. And Josiah's on the left. He's five there and he's now 17. I'm just like, wow, look at their sweet little faces. 
Oh, it kills me. They're so cute. About the time this picture was taken, when Micah was three, he came down with a fever. And I couldn't get it down. I was pretty worried about him. I couldn't bring it down with Tylenol or ibuprofen. It just kept rising. So I called the doctor. And the doctor said to bring him in. So I brought him in. And he was just so miserable. He was so sick. He wasn't doing anything. He was almost just like asleep. He was so miserable. He couldn't move. He wouldn't even turn his head. And that's what really alarmed the doctor. Because the doctor was like, Hmm, Sarah... This doesn't look great. I need you to take Micah to the ER because this could be spinal meningitis. And I freaked out, of course. You parents know this moment. When you hear something about your precious baby, that they might not be okay. And he said, you need to go to the ER and they'll do a spinal tap and we'll see what's going on. And I hear spinal tap, like you don't mess with my son's spinal cord. Like that is scary to me. And so in this moment, and I'm in the hospital and we're waiting to hear what the doctors have to say and he hasn't done the test yet, but I'm just cradling him. My precious baby, praying. And in those moments, I would have moved heaven and earth, if I could have, to make sure that my son was okay. He's okay, by the way. He had strep throat so bad, so swollen in his throat that he couldn't turn his head. He didn't want to. Poor little guy. But he was healed in just a couple of days. Praise God that a doctor thought to do the strep test before they did the spinal tap. And he's all right. But I tell you that story... Because I want you to think about the gravity of giving up a son. You were bought at a high price. God said that you were worth the price of his only son's life. I love my boys so much, both of them so much. I'm sorry, but I would never give them up for you. And I... I love him so much, but how much more does God the Father love his son? Because I'm earthly, I'm flesh. I have restrictions on my capacity to love. God doesn't. He loves his son so much more. And he said you were worth his life. And when we come to grips with that, what do we have but to say, you are Lord. You get to be the boss of my body, my soul, my actions, everything. You get to be in charge. Please remember this. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. You are precious to God. So precious. He does not condemn you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be friends with you. He wants to be Lord because he knows what is best for you. He's selfish about your time. He's selfish about your focus because he wants what's best for you and God's ways are best because he is Lord. And the power that we're given when we say, Jesus, you are in charge, he gives us power to overcome. He gives us power to walk in wholeness away from sin. We got to tap into that. It's incredible the power that we're given because we're worth so much to him. 
Look again at verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6. Some of you were once like that. Let's make it a past tense. Even if you stumble in it tomorrow, make it a past tense. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy as many times as you need. You were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Just like the woman caught in adultery. When we get our judgment, condemnation out of the way, when we feel safe, we can trust Jesus to be our Lord, to be the authority on everything. We can call on his name in those moments when we start to stumble. Because Jesus, he asks us to go and sin no more. He doesn't belittle sin. He makes it possible for us to overcome it by the power of his blood when we call him Lord. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make him your Lord. So if you would all bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You can say this out loud. You can say it in your head. But I want you to know this is between you and Jesus. And I hope that everything is out of the way so that you can pray this prayer and mean it. Just repeat after me. Jesus, you are Lord. I am a sinner. Thank you for dying to make me worthy. Please forgive me for my sin. You have authority in my life. I can overcome my sin because of you. Please come inside and dwell in me, Holy Spirit, so I can be in heaven with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've prayed that prayer, we want to give you a Bible. Would you raise your hand so we can see you? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Raise your hand. We have a Bible and we have a book written by our senior pastor, Carl. Your first 30 days with Jesus. Keep your hand up high so they can see you. There's one in the back over here. Praise God. He is Lord. Keep your hand up. She's coming. Praise God. He is Lord. He's so worthy. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you. We can overcome. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.